0: our time for communion some of you guys have heard it called the Eucharist which means thanks and we are thankful we're rejoicing we worshiped and now we rejoice in a different way Um, I wanna just take the chance to assume that not everyone in the room knows what communion is and why we do it so we're gonna go through you know some background things like that Um, first I wanna make some comments communion is something that we do As a symbol. It is a symbol. We partake in Christ's death so that we impart his life. And communion is a reminder of a relationship with him. It's a recommitment as a result of our rebellion. It's rejoicing in restoration, but it is not redemption. Okay. So what we are doing is a symbol, it's an individual decision where God is working on you. So keep that in mind. Um, Jesus, again, he goes into us in a symbolic form because he wants to come out of us. In everything that we do, and everything that we say, he wants us to bear fruit, like Karen was talking about. We take in the fruit of the vine, we pour out the fruit of the vine. So he abides and resides in the fertile ground of our, our hearts, and growing roots and bearing fruit fed by his living water. Jesus is our bread. He is our vine. He's our wine that we take in. He's not something that we just do weekly. Though I grew up fortunate in a church to listen to my dad pray every week over communion. God, take this, do it your will in us. I didn't quite understand. I knew that it was celebrating Christ's death, but I don't think I understood all of the background. So I'm going to go through Matthew chapter 26, if you want to glance through that. Um, This is one of the recounts of the Lord's Supper, starting in verse 17. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And Jesus replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell them, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. So there we need to back up. What is the Passover and why is Jesus celebrating it? The Passover is the last straw for a series of plagues that God had sent, a chance to be forgiven and to redeem and to let his people go willingly, looking way back at Exodus 12 when his people had lived in slavery for 400 years. And that's us. We have been in slavery to sin all of our lives. We live in sin. And every day I sin. And before I go to bed tonight, I will have sinned some more. And I need to deal with that. So this is a chance for me to do that. So we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper, just like the Jews did, as a reminder that they were saved from slavery, just like we are. They had gone through locusts and frogs and all these different things, did not get the point across to the Pharaoh. So one final chance, 12th plague, we're going to send an angel of death, to kill off every firstborn in the country. And the only way to avoid that is to take a pure lamb and take its blood and put it over your doorway. And so the people of God obeyed his command, and their firstborns lived. As a result, in the morning, panic ensued. People ran away. They escaped their slavery. Now the problem is, they spent the next 40 years then wandering the desert and so we are saved and we use baptism as a one-time decision to commit our lives to Christ but then we do exactly what everyone else did and we spend the rest of our lives complaining and sinning some more and so we need another chance to be reminded over and over that we are committing our lives this week or next week or next month or next year to God over and over again Because it is a daily decision. And I find it funny that even in that 40 years of wandering, they still would have celebrated the Passover every year. They would have had to remember the day that they, those people, put blood over their doors and their firstborn children lived. And they got to escape. But then I do the same thing. And I remember the day that I was saved. And I remember that high... And then I get stuck in the low. And I need a chance to go back to God and say, I'm trying again. Again, I'll sin before I go to bed tonight. But God, I'm trying again. And that's my relationship with him. I do this as a reminder of a relationship. That I'm knowing him better every day. And in John, because we always want to look at where we talk about the Old Testament stuff in the New Testament. We go over to John 6. And we see that he references communion there. John 6:32. Jesus says, I assure you, Moses didn't give them bread from heaven. My father did, referring to the manna that fed them when they were in the desert. And now he offers you true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day of our lives. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. No one comes t- who comes to me will ever be hungry again. Those who believe in me will never thirst. But you haven't believed in me even though you've seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me and I will not reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do what I want. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, so that I should raise them to eternal life on the last day, for it is my Father's will that all who see His Son and believe in him should have eternal life, that I should raise them that last day. So he uses these symbols because he is those things. And there are other names that we use for Christ. Bread and wine are not significant in that we are eating him. We are using symbols. We have symbols as Christians. we are salt, we are light these different things that we do. They're symbols because God talks on terms that we understand because he created us, so he wants us to understand. Confusion is from the devil. Understanding is from God. Okay, moving on. Back to Matthew. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who's dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go out, just as it's written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he would not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You've said so. Now, again, Old Testament, it's important to realize that these things were prophesied. This was going to happen. It was prophesied in Psalm 41.9. Even my best friend, the one I completely trusted, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. But again, that's me. I've turned against him. I have betrayed him, and he gives me another chance every single day. So that is my rebellion. And it's funny that Betsy brought up the prison recidivism rate. And we talk about you know people going back and back, Christianity is 100% recidiv- recidivism because I'm going to sin over and over again. Every one of us is going to. Prison is only 80 or 90%. Christianity is 100%. Isn't that sad? But the expectation is not perfection, is the difference. God doesn't, when we get baptized, when we take communion, nobody thinks, or maybe we do. God knows better. God knows that we're a process, that we're a work in progress. And he's not done with us. So, Charles Spurgeon points out that Jesus appears to have been the last to ask the question, is it I? And those who are the last to suspect themselves are usually those who ought to be the first to exercise self-suspicion. So, this is a time of reflection and honesty with yourself. And, again, we've all gone wrong. Nobody's fooling anybody, and especially not God. So, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 32 reminds us in that moment of self-reflection, anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. This is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick and some have died. But if we would examine ourselves... We would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we're judged by God, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Now, I learned an important lesson, though, in college. My preacher would say, don't forego the supper. Forgo the sin. Don't choose not to take the communion because you have sin in your life. Get rid of the sin. If God is laying something on your heart, that means it needs to go. And that's different for me than it is for Alicia. That's different for me than it is for Tiffany. What I deal with today and the things that I need to let go of before I drink out of that cup are very different than anyone else in this room. So that's for God to deal with you and nobody else gets any say in that. Okay. Moving on. Verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat this Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Now here's where we have restoration. We have God taking this and changing it. We have the Old Testament shadow of the New Testament covenant. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and blessed it. When the bread was lifted up at the Passover, the head of the meal would say, This is the bread of affliction, which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt, reminding them, Let everyone who hungers come and eat. Let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. Everything eaten at the Passover meal had symbolic meaning. Bitter herbs recall the bitterness of slavery. Salt water, remembered the tears shed under Egypt's oppression. And the main course of the meal, a lamb freshly sacrificed for that particular household did not symbolize anything connected to the agonies in Egypt. It was the sin-bearing sacrifice that allowed the judgment of God to pass over the household that believed. It was obedience. It was something we do in obedience. And then Jesus didn't give the normal explanations, though, you'll note, for this Passover feast. He reinterpreted it for himself. And the focus is not on the suffering of Egypt or of the Israelites in Egypt, but on the sin-bearing suffering of Jesus on their behalf. The focus became what he was about to do. Can you even imagine being in a room with just just a few fewer people than we have right now, sitting down with your closest friends you've spent the last three years with and knowing that it's your last meal with them and that you're about to die in a way that they don't understand and they won't understand for a very long time. And to top that they won't even pretend to know who you are. Can you imagine the emotions that were swimming in there? And we'll get to that especially in a second. But the words, this is my body, had no place in the Passover ritual. And as an innovation, they must have had a stunning effect. Again, people didn't get what he was doing. An effect that would grow with increased understanding long after this event. Um, Jesus announced this institution of his new covenant, And no mere man could ever institute a new covenant between God and man, though some have tried. But Jesus is God. He is God in human form. He has the authority to establish a new covenant sealed with his own blood and even as the old covenant was sealed with his blood. Now, one more thought on that. Um... What is certain is that Jesus bids us to commemorate not his birth, nor his life, like we sometimes get hung up on, or his miracles, but his death. That's the important one. Sometimes the others are way more fun, but this is the one that matters. So, on the emotion, then, we go through, and the very last thing he does, after he's, in John it tells us he washed their feet as part of this dinner, He sat down with his friends to celebrate this Passover feast. And the very last thing Jesus does recorded before it starts this process of his crucifixion is he sings a song of praise out on the Mount of Olives. And one of the ones that would have been a possibility would be Psalm 118. So I'm going to read that to you. So, of course, we have no idea. You know, I don't have any idea. What it would sound like in Hebrew or what it would sound like in Jesus' voice. But the thought that Jesus may be saying this is his last song to his father is moving to me. And says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let the congregation of Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who hear the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and rescued me. The Lord is for me, so I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in people, and it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Though hostile nations surrounded me, I destroyed them all in the name of the Lord. Yes, they surrounded and attacked me, but I destroyed them all in the name of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like a roaring flame, but I destroyed them all in the name of the Lord. You did your best to kill me, O oh, my enemy, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die, but I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he has not handed me over to death. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. Those gates lead to the presence of the Lord and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and saving me. The stone rejected, here he's singing about himself, the stone rejected by the builders has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God shining upon us. Bring forward the sacrifice and put it on the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So, And one more thought. If, this is a Charles Spurgeon quote, if, beloved, you knew that at, say, 10 o'clock tonight, you would be led away to be mocked, despised and scourged and that tomorrow's son would see you falsely accused hanging a convicted criminal to die upon a cross do you think that you could sing tonight after your last meal and that's important too because this could be the last communion you ever take you're not going to die the way Jesus did necessarily but if if this were the last one, would you be singing praises today?